Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right. And our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions, and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix chamois cream, swim and sport shower products, and the body lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for... Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. How's it going? Happy June. Happy June, Alyssa. It's going great. The weather is awesome, and I believe it is race week for you. It is race week, Haley. I'm actually like really excited. Training has been going pretty well the last few weeks since Chattanooga, and I guess the last two weeks. I've had some, some good training since then. Feels like a lot longer. May was a long month. And I am heading to Eagle Man 70.3 this weekend, so I'm very excited to go race again. And Alyssa, I know you have a lot of history with Eagle Man. It's, it's near your hometown of Baltimore, Maryland. It's in Cambridge, Maryland. Is that right? That's right. And um, I have raced there. And my biggest memory of Eagle Man is that run and how it feels like you are running on the surface of the sun. It has to be one of the hottest run courses. It's like completely exposed. I think when I was there, it was when I was an age grouper, like maybe uh, 2012. And it was like fresh black top and you're like running out there and there's just the sun beating down on you it's really hot are you ready for the heat i know the east coast has had some really hot days recently yeah so since we've since i got back from australia i've definitely made a point to do um some specific like sessions in just the normal daytime heat which is quite hot often and humid um which is kind of the more important thing i think for myself to like get acclimated to um, and then I also definitely have like specific sessions I still do like when it's pretty cool or inside and things like that to not like totally overload myself in that respect. But I have been doing a little bit of like, you know, crash course with some sauna training since I've been back too, which has been super interesting. And Haley, I don't train like with heart rate ever, but I have been working with someone on like a sauna protocol. And so I've been tracking heart rate data while I've been in the sauna actually, and so I took out my, the Wahoo ticker heart rate strap, and I've been using that to get a little bit of data as if triathletes need more data, right. To like keep us occupied with our time, but it's been super fun to kind of 
you know, I, I think there's definite benefits to sauna training and the science is really good for that just in general to use, whether you're going into like a hot race or, or not even, I think it's good. But I, it's been interesting to watch just like the heart rate side of things. It's something I haven't paid attention to before. And so it's been an interesting practice. Have you ever tried anything like that in the sauna? I have. I am. Um, and I am like a slave to my heart rate. I watch my heart rate on almost every session that I do. And I've worn a heart rate monitor into the uh, the the sauna, and yeah, like the Wahoo Wahoo is one of our sponsors, and so we are very support or we are very thankful for them and the ticker heart rate monitor. It works great pairs with any watch that works with ANT plus. Um, I think that's you know the pairing, and it it is fascinating how how high my heart rate gets sitting in a sauna. Like that's actually just sitting there. You're sitting there at rest and. I know what, you know, my heart rate usually is on like an easy ride, um, you know, maybe even riding, you know, just on the trainer, really easy watts or outside easy watts. And my heart rate's higher in the sauna sitting when it's hot, uh, especially when I've been sitting there a while, than it would be on an easy bike ride, which I found fascinating when I first started doing it. I don't, I guess you don't have necessarily the same comparison if you don't train with heart rate a lot, but do you, were you surprised by the numbers you saw? Um, a little bit, I guess. And it's, it's funny too. It's just, you know, interesting once you do start looking at it, because it's like, I'd often go into the sauna after like an easy swim or something. Cause it's right there. But sometimes I would like go into the locker room and grab my towel or like something. And then I'd look at my phone and like, depending on what I saw, like I had to do then next sometimes, like not session wise, just like, you know, with emails or whatever, like sometimes like a text or something, if it like stressed me out, I actually noticed that my heart rate was then higher sitting in the sauna because I like, so I had to make a rule that I was like, if I am doing sauna, like I need to do my training, go into the sauna and like not have anything else in my head because it is funny how just seeing something like that raises your heart. You know, it's like you're sitting, you go to a doctor's appointment and you're just like at the doctor for something standard and you still like get a higher heart rate because you're like nervous you're at the doctor or the dentist or whatever. Right. So that I had, I like, it definitely made me more conscious of that effect more than anything. Oh, that's, so, that's fascinating. Um, do you bring, so I sometimes would bring like books in, although it does ruin your book, like bringing a book into the sauna or magazines are good because if you ruin them, it's like not as big of a deal. Do you bring anything in or you just sit there? I just sit there and I, I try and take the time to do like my race visualization. I find it's a really good time to do that. Um, and like you said, I've raced Eagle Man a, a few times. And so the visualization comes very easily for that because I've had some like great races there and some hard races there and things, but I know the course really well. I can like really kind of just close my eyes and put myself in it. So I like it. I like to just kind of not have anything. Cause I also sweat like, like your meditation time. Kind of. Yes. Yes. And so, but I sweat so much too. Like there would be no magazine or book that would make it out. Okay. So I just try and like <laughs> save that. And I, I need to ask because I, I follow you on social media and I've seen that I believe it, we're recording this on Monday, but we um, today is the last day that Ramona, your dog, is in a contest for the cutest pet in your neighborhood. I think it's something like that. Did Ramona win? Do you have the results yet? Like, can we... Do we so know? Haley, the results, results aren't in. I'm not sure if like w the votes were already tallied this morning or if they're going to be tallied at the end of the day. I really ho was hoping it was like at the start of business today because Ramona was in the lead for 9 a.m., even 10 a.m. today. And then Haley, we just recorded an, an interview and I checked right after the interview and she's her stiffest competition is coming from these two cockatiels that apparently live in the apartment complex as well. And they cockatiels like birds, like birds, They're birds yes. right? Okay. Yes. And I they, don't, my they animal kingdom knowledge. Right. <laughs> they look fine, but Ramona is a lot cuter. And she, so now we're, we're in second place again, but Haley, I have to say, so I don't do a lot. I, I like, don't let myself do these contests and things like that very often, because obviously if, if you do follow me on social media, I get competitive. Like when I decide to get in on something, I'm going all in, you know, like similar to how I was going to do with the long trail, right? Like I put everything I have into a contest when I decide like I want to win this thing. So I really have gone out like all in on this, Haley. It's been a bit all encompassing, but everyone's been stepping up. Like my dog park friends have stepped up. The smash team has stepped up. Like everyone on social media has been awesome and been voting, but it's been a, like a bit of a crash course for me in social media tactics, Haley, because so these cockatiels have like a Facebook fan page that has 2.7 thousand likes on it. So they have a pretty big, apparently, fan base, right? 
I have a like athlete page. I think that has like five or 600 likes on my athlete fan page, but I have quite a few like Facebook friends. And then I have, you know, fans on Instagram, but it's really hard. That's a whole other conversation to get people to go from Instagram to Facebook to like something. So that wasn't like super helpful, but it has been a good lesson. One, I noticed first that like, once I really started doing some like grassroots, like market, like actually asking people like one by one to vote and share, like people were doing it. And all of a sudden it started growing and it was like this big fun campaign, which did get me very excited because eventually like in my future, I've always talked about wanting to run for office. So it kind of gave me insight there. And like, I felt really happy because like my smaller base is like close knit and super engaged. Right. So we were giving these cockatiels like a run for their money who just have all these likes. But then now that I was looking at like, what the heck happened in the last hour? Because like, you don't go like surge a hundred likes on something like this, like easily. And I do have to say, Haley, I'm a little bit sad because I think that there's like ways that you can put links in and you get pages liked automatically and things like that. And like, there's bots. Like by robots. Yes. Like and robots. So, these aren't real accounts that are liking these cockatiel photos. Or it's just like, I don't even know how it all would work. If it is like a real account of someone in a foreign country, like a lot of them are just like so global. It doesn't like make sense to me. Like why would they have been following? I don't know. So admittedly i don't know a lot of the logistics of this you have like russian accounts russian bots who are like these are clearly the cutest animals in cockatiels in charlottesville virginia Virginia." (laughs) so it's frustrating Um, in that sense does this like but does this like give you like a broader sense for i guess like voter fraud in other areas of life or like or not just voter fraud that's probably a bigger but like instagram fraud like fraud you know fake accounts on instagram on twitter on facebook like you're seeing it in this neighborhood pet contest and it's something that we see when you know you go to someone's social media page and you're like how do they have a million likes like they don't even post good stuff or how do they have a million followers that kind of thing i mean does that does that make you think about that oh definitely and i mean especially with what we we do in the world of sponsorship and social media, Haley, like it, I, I will say no matter what happens, I'll come away feeling really good about like my following that I have and the fact that it's authentic, it's sincere. Like these people have now been dragged into this contest with me and I love them for that and are helping me. Right. And so I, I feel good, you know, sponsorship is such a hard game, but, and even getting someone to reply to an email can be a really hard game, but I feel good about the fact that like, once I get my foot in the door, if I have an opportunity to prove how my community, you know, and how like the iron women community has come like, and helped our sponsors and things like that. Like we see that all the time. So this has just been another example of that, but it does make me sad that there are people out there who do these things because Ramona's going to be sad if she loses. (laughs) Uh, Well, there's either either the cutoff already happened or maybe there's still a little bit of time i know that by the time this podcast comes out the contest will be over but i'm holding out hope and in my opinion um for whatever it counts ramona is clearly the cutest pet in your neighborhood well thank you Haley. and with this contest winding down we will have an iron women contest to talk to you guys all about with noon next week so stay tuned next week for the announcement of our noon contest but we have something going on this month with zelios right Haley? that's right it is um zelios skincare is one of our sponsors and they are celebrating and we're celebrating with them ginger awareness month and that is a little play on words on redheads being gingers and but it's all about sun safety and and celebrating our ginger friends who usually are a little bit sensitive to the sun so it's a fun way to make sure we're reminding ourselves to be safe in the sun as you know temperatures in the northern hemisphere are on the rise longer days and more sun exposure to make sure you are you know, wearing your sunscreen when you're getting out to swim, bike, and run. And a portion of all of Zelios' sunscreen sales this month will be donated to the nonprofit F Cancer. Um, So you can always go to teamzelios.com and use the code IRONWOMEN for 20% off and know that a little bit of that money is going to a great cause this month. Yes, Haley, so... I forget if I've said this on the the podcast before. Sometimes people tell me I have red hair. So I feel like a little bit of a connection here to the Ginger Awareness Month campaign. Yeah. 
I've, take it, take it. No one's ever told me I have red hair, so I guess. <laughs> but I do like to use sunscreen. I do guess this, I don't want to get a sunburn. And, and Zelius is almost also running a bunch of contests on their web pages, like their Facebook page and their Instagram page, which is at Zelios Skincare. This whole month, I think the one that's this week, it's about tagging friends on a video that they posted, and you have a chance to win like ninety dollars worth of sunscreen. So who doesn't need ninety dollars worth of sunscreen? You could. I mean, that's probably enough for you and your ginger friends exactly so everyone can go into those contests and regardless of how those end up you can always use the code ironwomen at teamzelios.com for 20 percent off of your order there and Haley, we had some great mailbag questions coming in so people can always send in mailbag questions to ironwomanpodcast at gmail.com to Take a, we'll take a stab at the questions that come in. And so the first one that we have this week is from Courtney and she had raced Gulf Coast a couple weeks ago. She was really excited about swimming in the Gulf, but there were some waves there. And so she got, she was wearing a one piece tri suit and she got so much sand in the kit that when she finally got home after the race and showered, it was like a sand castle fell out, which is amazing. So she was wondering if we have any tricks for getting sand out of our kit after the swim. So yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, I know that some races I've raced, I actually raced Gulf Coast like years and years ago, actually like 10 years ago before it was an Ironman branded race. And I can't remember if there, they had like, sometimes they have like the hoses when you're running out of the water that you can kind of, a lot of saltwater races have those where you can kind of like hose off a little bit. Um, so that might be a good thing, you know, take the time to like hose off a little bit, um, try to, you know, get some of that sand out of your kit as you're getting out of the water. Or even if they don't have that, maybe you could, uh, have like a water bottle, like a spare water bottle in T1, like sitting right by your bike that you could just use to like kind of spray yourself off a little bit as you're heading out on the bike. I mean, it might take a couple, you know, 10 seconds more, but it might be worth it for your overall comfort. So those would be kind of my suggestions on trying to get sand out of your kit, you know, immediately. Yeah. I think, you know, you have that kind of window in T1 to maybe do some stuff, but after that, you're probably just going to like roll with it. So to, you know, take a look around, see if there is like a, a hose situation or if that's, a, I think a great suggestion just to have like some water sitting there that you can kind of hose yourself down in T1 if you need to. Um, but otherwise it does seem like that's probably part of the game. And I think it, it's obviously worse in like an ocean type of race with waves where it's just so sandy and though, like I can feel it even just talking about it when you're like coming in and the waves are hitting you and you just feel the sand all over. So it's some, to some extent, I don't know, you know, how much you can avoid it if the conditions are really sandy, but hopefully that gives you some ideas to go on. And Haley, our second mailbag question today comes in from Barbara and this is a great question. She says that recently she's seen a lot of the hype surrounding CBD balm and people using it for recovery and helping prevent inflammation. She wants to know our thoughts on using these types of products. Do we think it's safe to use or too early to tell? And are there risks or anything people should be worried about? So this is a Alyssa great question. Did some, yes. Alyssa did some <laughs> research for you, Barbara, because yeah, it is a great question. Alyssa found some, some good answers for us. Yeah, so I think, you know... The, the first thing that popped into my head when I was reading about this was a doping sanction that happened on March 1st, 2019, so pretty recent. And I remember this caught my eye because it was involved with CBD oil. And so USADA, um, you can go, we'll actually put a couple links in our show notes about this too, if you want to go online and read the full things that we're talking about here, but both off of the USADA website. And they announced a sanction for Devin Logan, who competes in the sport of free ski and she accepted her sanction because she had tested positive for THC I believe Haley right so and basically it came out that she was using a product like a CBD oil type of product or balm and it had enough THC in it that allowed her to you know test positive when she was tested in in um the competition testing because cause CBD oil by itself is not banned by USADA, but THC, which is the more like, I guess the like the part that gets you high when you smoke marijuana or you take marijuana or something. Um, I'm showing my <laughs> lack of knowledge here. Um, that is banned in competition. 
right? Or yeah. So it's, it's not prohibited out of competition, but it is prohibited in competition. And from my understanding, like the half-life of marijuana is fairly long. So it's in your system a while. So you can, you might take it, you might not have taken it like right before your race, but it could still be in your system when you get tested at a race. Yeah. And so the second link we'll, we will post is also on USADA. It's six things to know um, about like CBD. And so I'll just read this couple sentences here um, where they say the question is, is CBD prohibited in sport? And they say, no, the chemical compound in Canada. I haven't ever said this word out loud. This happens to me all the time. CBD. I'm just going with the abbreviation in CBD is not prohibited. But remember, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to obtain a pure CBD extract or oil from the plant. So anyone who buys CBD oil extract or other products should be aware that it may be a mixture of CBD and other cannabinoids, all other cannabinoids, including THC and more than 115 other identified ones in the plant are all prohibited in competition. So basically that I think this like says it all in my mind of, um, that was enough that I would have had to read, right. If I was looking at a product and debating, testing it or, or using it for myself as, you know, an athlete, I'm very, very picky about what I'm going to use. And I try and err on the side of caution when it, you know, every time. And so that is enough to make me be like, okay, I don't, you know, I don't need the CBD product. There's plenty of other ways to get recovery benefits and, and things like that that we know are tested and are legal and things like that, rather than me doing something that's, like you said, there's not a lot of research, there's pretty new. And, you know, I just, I would worry too much. And so I wouldn't want to have that kind of in the back of my mind. I also think because marijuana is still federally illegal, um, I'm not exactly sure here, but I know that traveling with CBD oil like you aren't really allowed to do that. Or I think like, I think you can get in trouble. I don't, I think there might be like a limit on how much you can have, but I, I feel like I saw a news story recently about a woman getting arrested at Disneyland and for having, or Disney world for having CBD oil. So that's something, you know, if you do use this, like, and you're traveling to a race, you probably want to know the risks involved. You know, if like, if you lived in somewhere like Colorado where marijuana is legal recreationally, and then you've traveled somewhere else, like, you know, make sure you, you know, you know, whether that's legal or not, you know, despite getting testing positive, despite having increased or decreased inflammation, um, all of that, like, I think, you know, you don't want to end up in jail for something like that. Yeah. So hopefully we gave you a little bit of insight, but do go check out those links and just kind of, you know, education is such a big part of it as you make your own decision. So, um, but we tried to give you a couple resources to help you think about that there. And Haley, we have a very fun day for everyone. I'm very excited about this week's episode. That's right. This week we were chatting with Nikki Kimball. So I need to give a little backstory here on why this interview is so special. And it goes back to the Vermont Long Trail, which is, uh, for our listeners who aren't aware, it's a 273-mile trail running the length of Vermont from the Canadian to Massachusetts border. It's the oldest trail in the United States. Um, It was finished in 1930, and it's known for being extremely rugged and rocky. Last year, we interviewed Jennifer Farr Davis. It's one of our most popular uh, podcast episodes ever. So if you haven't if you haven't listened to that, I definitely recommend going back and checking that one out from last summer. But she, Jennifer Farr Davis, established the first women's record on the Long Trail in 2007 when she set a self-supported record of seven days, 15 hours, and 40 minutes. Five years later, in the summer of 2012, world-renowned ultramarathoner Nikki Kimball made an attempt on the Long Trail record. Nikki's attempt made headlines, not just because of her trail running resume, but also because she boldly announced that she would be chasing not just Jennifer's women's record, but also attempting to eclipse Jonathan Basham's men's supported record of four days, 12 hours, and 46 minutes. Ultimately, Nikki fell short of the overall record, but she established a new women-supported mark of five days, seven hours, and 42 minutes, taking more than two days off the previous women's record. Nikki's record stood for six years until 2018, when our very own Alyssa Gadeski, my podcast co-host, lowered the women's record mark by another five hours to where it stands today at five days, 
two hours and 37 minutes. So again, if any of our listeners are new and haven't already listened to Alyssa telling the story of her successful record attempt from last summer, definitely go back and check out her episode. It was called Wandlin, and it's in our archives, I believe, in August 2018. So today, our special treat, um, we make long trail history as the current women-supported long trail record holder, Alyssa, and I welcome the previous record holder, Nikki Kimball. And as I alluded earlier, Nikki's resume runs much longer than even the 273 miles of the long trail. She's a three-time winner of the 100-mile Western States Endurance Run, winner of the ultra-prestigious Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, the Leadville 100, and she even finished second at last year's Hard Rock 100. Nikki is a mental health advocate and has worked to end the stigma around depression. She lives and trains in Bozeman, Montana, and she even occasionally rides bikes in my garage. So we'll have more from Nikki right after the break. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Hi, Nikki. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thanks, Haley. So we're going to kick off this interview by talking about the Vermont Long Trail. And you were 41 when you made your record attempt, and at that point had already recorded wins at some of the most prestigious ultramarathons in the world. What made you decide to go after a speed record on a 273-mile trail, and not just the women's speed record, but the overall speed record? Well, it's something I actually wanted to do since I was a kid. Um, I mean, I grew up just near the long trail and knew it was rumored that the U.S. ski team guys had set some fastest known time before fastest known times were known. And so I'm like, oh, I have to do that. You know, I mean, this is like seventh grade. And I knew that my running, you know, I was slowing down and that my running, my elite running was kind of coming to an end. And I figured that was like the one thing I had left to do. Like it was on my bucket list of runs that I really, really, really wanted to do. So that's number one. And number two is, you know, I recognize is sort of from the feminist perspective that I recognize how poorly women are treated overall by sponsors in sport. And, you know, the only way we're going to, and I shouldn't just say sponsors, but sponsors in media and all of that. I mean, it's not the sponsor's fault. But I really wanted to make some change in that. And um, the MSU has a great film program and just sort of serendipitously all this stuff sort of came together that we could make this film because I think one of the things that women need to do is be making media. And I think that's great that you guys do this podcast because one of the reasons we're not paid as well and we, you know, in sports pages and newspapers are still pictures of men is that we don't write, we don't make the podcast, we don't, we don't do that part. So I just felt like that was, it was part giving back and part I really, really wanted to run that trail. Okay, so we're going to dig into a lot of those pieces there. But first, so we want to talk about some other parts of the long trail. So you're a really accomplished ultramarathoner. You're no stranger to close races. In fact, in 2011, you finished as the third woman at the Western States 100 mile, and you were only five seconds behind second place. And if anyone knows that finish of that race, you run 400 meters around the track at the high school there. And so that must have just been like one of the most epic finishes ever. But so, you know, there your competitors like right in front of you and, you know, all the racing you had done to that point, you have your competitors around you and with trails you know, there's give and take, you might not know, but you kind of know, you might get updates where they are, that kind of thing. So with the long trail, how did you kind of switch your game to plan for the aspect of racing like a virtual competitor, you know, just the previous record that was on the long trail? Yeah, well, you know, sometimes in in 100 mile races, frequently, I will have I will figure out an athlete who runs similarly to me and write down his or her splits and have those and compare. And so I had Jonathan's splits to go off of. So, you know, really that was a big part of it, looking where he was when I was there. And so I, you know, probably led me to go out a little bit too hard, but that's kind of what I, that that's the main thing. And also I'd never done it before. So I, it was a lot by feel. And so it sounds like I, this is something I was really curious about that you had JB or Jonathan Basham's like splits. Did you have much contact with him before you made your attempt? Cause 
Um, I actually found it quite hard to get a hold of him, actually. Like, someone else was kind of like an intermediary and was just like, I'll just let him know that you're running kind of thing. I had very little information. Like, scouring the internet, I found a few splits I kind of could use, but there wasn't too much. So is that probably all you had as well? That's all I had as okay. well. Yep. Yeah. Who is I this know. guy? He's like I, a enigma. He's a shadow <laughs> ninja. <laughs> and it's funny because there's local races in Virginia, and it's like if I'm not there, I hear like, oh, JB was there. And I'm like, who? Like, literally, we're like ships passing in the night. So, like, one day I'm going to actually meet him and be like, tell me more. <laughs> like, I need more information. Um, so, Nikki, you mentioned a f- your film crew that recorded your long trail record attempt, and the resulting documentary, Finding Traction, had a pretty wide release. I believe it's still available to watch on Amazon Prime, and for a while it was even playing in the Bozeman airport. <laughs> Did having a film crew follow you add any pressure? Yes and no. I mean, you know, it was going to be what it was. I mean, I think, and Alyssa knows this, I mean, so much of how you do on that trail is weather dependent. <laughs> so, there, and then there's all these other variables. So they were just one more variable of a gazillion variables. So, so not as much as maybe one might think. And when you sat down to watch the film, were you nervous? Because we, we talked about this a little yeah. bit, you and I, about how in a documentary, you know, you didn't have control over the editing. When you sat down to watch that at the premiere, it was the first time you'd seen any of that versus, you know, if I make a YouTube video myself and put it on my own YouTube channel, I'm like, I'm going to make myself look really good. Um, I mean, was that, was that yeah. scary? Well, the whole, um, the whole, everybody who was in the film and uh, all the people involved in making it, we all watched it together so that it was I was maybe a tad nervous but not really the person who was nervous was Jamie the producer she was just like oh my god what if she hates it because I mean I had absolutely nothing to do with it with the filming or with the production or with the story writing and the story writing was actually done um, by Stephanie Watkins in England because I think you know all the people who were on the expedition were way too close and you can't one of my issues with documentaries, and I'm seeing this in, you know, as people can make sort of their own documentaries, is that the subject has say in the material, and I just don't think that's ethical. So, you know, I was maybe slightly nervous, but I really had trust in Jamie and Stephanie and the whole crew, and, you know, I wanted it to be objective, and I wanted it to be real. That's really cool, and I think it definitely, you know was needed, like you said. And I think one of your goals in having that was to have women making media and being out there in the media. And I know, I mean, I've told you this, that the seeing that movie was what planted the seed in me years ago to dream that one day I could do it too. So a huge, massive thank you to you for being willing to do that, but also, you know, to the entire crew, if they ever listen to the podcast for for putting that together. (laughs) I'll make sure they do. (laughs) But, and thank you as well, because I think we, you know, I think women have just build on each other. I think that we just have to build on what, on each other's successes. And, and that's how we get better. And it was a different time. Like social media kind of wasn't quite the same vehicle that it is now for these types of things. And after I finished there, were, you know, we had connected on Facebook and there was a fun thread kind of going on in comments at one point where we were encouraging some other women maybe who had said, you know, this might be something I want to try. And we were kind of like dreaming up this like women's dream team of putting together a team of women that can still kind of get after this record. And you even mentioned that I'm actually young enough to still try again. And while I really appreciate your vote of confidence, it's hard to wrap my head around that because the recovery from the long trail for me has been like really, really, you know, difficult. And it was just such a big undertaking. And I know that I had weeks of like trouble sleeping. I actually had nightmares that I was like still on the trail even after I was done. My feet were swollen and infected. Like I felt like my hormones were out of whack for months. So I've just been dying to ask you, like, am I an outlier here? Did you have a pretty like normal recovery compared to a standard ultra marathon? Or like, was it tough for you too after that effort? It was tough, but I had the bizarre advantage of knowing that I was going into surgery for a inguinal hernia. So I knew that I was off for six weeks anyway. And I just, I mean, basically I I had already put the the long trail expedition off for a year because of a hurricane that closed the forest. And I didn't want to put it off for another year. And my surgeon thought I was safe to run. It really didn't affect me at all, but I did have to get that, uh, get surgery fairly quickly afterwards. So I actually didn't have as much problem and within, and I actually came back stronger the next year, but I think that's because I had six weeks completely Mm -hmm. off. That makes sense. 
Alyssa, that you're you're an know, outlier. I'm you're an anomaly. It's just you. Sympathize with the nightmares. Like PTSD was real, and so I've had I've had nightmares about like Ironman races, and they are just one day. Yeah. So like not even a full not even a full day, and um I probably have actually I can go back to swimming, and I think I had nightmares about like. 400 IM, which is like four to five minutes. So uh, I think you're not that strange. Maybe Nikki. I think Nikki's, I could, Nikki's the outlier right, here. I think that could be okay. <laughs> and I do think it's short stuff that would give me nightmares. <laughs> you know, in long stuff, you just kind of go. <laughs> well, Nikki, the men's supported record on long trail is four days, 12 hours, and 46 minutes. And sometime on day four of your attempt, it became clear that you were not going to be able to break the overall record. In finding traction, you say at that point your goal shifted to closing the gap between the men's and women's record. That seems like such a mature and forward-thinking decision. How were you able to stay so grounded and future-focused when your present goal seemed to be falling apart? That's a great question. Um, you know, if I had run it when I was Alyssa's age, when she ran it, I would not have dealt with it. I, I didn't have the maturity to do that. And, you know, I think I had been slowing down for several years by the time I, I started that, or by the time I did the expedition. So I think I had had time to sort of deal with loss and with loss of being fast. And so that that played into it, but there really was a time I was going to drop. I mean, I, I, in the scene where, um, where I wanted to die, um, that's the place. I mean, I really, really, really wanted to die and really wanted to stop. I just wanted the, everything to be done. And I was very close to, to dropping. Then I'm like, well, it's not that much farther. I'll get a good night's sleep. And I got like six hours of straight sleep. And cause it didn't matter at that point. And then it was just, it was so amazingly heartwarming that the next, the next sort of place I stopped that I had crew that people could get to the leader of girls on the run Vermont it was there and I just burst into tears because I'm like oh my god I almost quit and you know this isn't really about me anymore I mean you know it was sort of all about me when I was racing you know for that like 10 year period where I was just everything I touched sort of turned to gold and like that I was I mean I had to be a narcissist then and um I just think you know, I was lucky that I was a bit older. And and then this next question is for both Nikki and Alyssa. Elite ultra runner, ultra runner Eliza Lapierre has announced that she's going for the long trail record this summer. Can each of you offer one piece of advice that you give to Eliza or anyone else going for the record? I guess we'll start with Nikki. Okay. <laughs> um, make sure you get a lot of sleep before. <laughs> Um, I think, I think I cared too much about my crew and ended up pulling an all nighter the night before. So that was the one thing that was really, really stupid that I did. Interesting. Yeah. I would say that, you know, there's never going to be a right time to do it in Vermont weather. <laughs> um, like you're <laughs> never going to have a perfect weather window. You just have to go for it. And I mean, Eliza's such a good athlete. She's, she's physically able to do this. And so, you know, I, I really hope that she does have find the confidence and, you know, puts it together to make an attempt because she's always been someone I named since I was looking into it as someone I think could could make a good go at it. But don't wait for the perfect time. Like, it's not going to happen. You just have to go for it. And besides, Alyssa and I will do like a non-rain dance yes. for you. Um, I mean, Eliza and I have actually talked about this for years because we're both Vermonters. And yeah, I just I can't wait for her to do it. And, and there are a couple other women who are going to try in the future, depending on what Eliza does. Yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, I'm, I read the article that Vermont Sports Magazine put out that had, you know, and Eliza said she's just never had the confidence to do it. And I was just like, well, I hope if I did anything by going for it, you know, I gave her the confidence to show that like, look, listen, I'm not from Vermont, you know, like I just went up and learned the trail and she's been there. You were there like growing up on it. You know, that's a huge advantage. It really is because that terrain is just so special and it's so unique that I really hope seeds are kind of planted all over. But the, the peanut gallery, I mean, Nikki, you know, this is going to tell them how to do it and the best way to do it. And it's so funny because like Haley and I talk about how in Ironman, so many people have opinions and right, but at least like a lot of people have done an Ironman at the end of the day, you know, like not in the grand scheme of things, still not that many, but still a lot. But like doing the long trail, you know, a handful of us have, and it's still like, this is something where I felt like even more people had opinions on telling me like how to do it, which was hilarious to me. Cause I'm like, 
this is such a small sample size, right? So hopefully she trusts and the other women out there like can kind of put blinders on and trust themselves and follow their heart to do it because the, you know, that's, that's, what's going to get you through it. I think at the end of the day. Yeah, you're absolutely, absolutely right on that. And, um, just a quick question. Did you, after you were done, did people tell you how you could have been faster? Oh yeah. Yeah. People, oh, yeah. You know, Cause I got like, a lot people of that. Definitely were like, well, couldn't you have done this? And couldn't you have done this? And it, it's so hard to like explain the nuances of how that all, that whole thing works, you know? And you just kind of smile and nod. And the smile and nod is something I've definitely perfected through my, my career with a lot of things, I think. But, and sometimes, you know, you might get some good advice for sure. So it's always good to like listen with an open mind, but you don't have to. <laughs> Except the post hoc advice doesn't right. really do much that good. Too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But Nikki, we briefly mentioned your ultra running accolades earlier, but we didn't do them justice. So we're going to run through a few of the highlights here. You won your first 100 miler, which just happened to be the Western States Endurance Run 100 mile in 20, 2004. You returned to win that race in 2006 and 2007 and actually finished among the top 10 at Western States 10 years in a row. You also notched wins at the 2005 Leadville Ultra Marathon 100 mile and the 2007 Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, and the 2014 Marathon de Sables. Most recently, at age 47, you finished second at the 2018 Hard Rock 100. So that's like the Cliff's Notes version of your race resume. But do any of those results stand out as your favorite, or is it something else that we missed that's actually your favorite result? You know, I think it's the whole thing taken as a package. I mean, I'm just really happy. I've had, I had 19 years of racing super well, like, for me, you know, and, and just having this amazing community and all of this, I just think it's the longevity that I'm more proud of than any one race. You know, that's, I think it's, I felt like it was very easy the first few years that I did it. I mean, it, you know, so if I had just done the flash in the pan thing and, and done super well for three years, great, but to do well over the long period is so much, you know, over two decades is so much harder. And, um, so I guess that, that really would be my, my proudest thing. And at the 2006 Western States 100 miler, you not only won the women's race, but finished third overall. And you kind of alluded to this earlier that despite this massive overall success, you've been quoted as saying that while women have come a long way, they still get paid less at the top and receive less media attention. Can you give us some of the examples of the gender disparity you've seen your, during your career? Was there gender disparity even in that race when you were third overall? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, yes. <laughs> you know, if you look at the media coverage of that race, there definitely was more coverage of the men. Um, I mean, maybe in that particular race, it was exciting because the first male across the finish line was disqualified because of, he was hauled across the finish line by his crew after he passed out, essentially, which isn't legal. And, you know, so there was that going on. So there were just sort of stories that overshadowed that. And I was, you know, I'd always been in the top 10 before that. Well, I'd always won it before that. And so, yeah, so that definitely didn't, didn't get a lot of coverage. And, and unfortunately, um, I, we have NDAs in our, in our, sponsored contracts, but we know that it's basically anywhere from a fourth to as much as a 12th less that the women get than the men, in so my experience. A bonus for, for winning, for winning a race like Western States would be a fourth or... Well, the four. bonuses are the same. It's um, typically now. They weren't okay. when I started. So that's come a long way. And and even when I started, there wasn't parity in the... Um, in prize money and um so now because that's so transparent races are not like they can't get away with that anymore but i want to see um those top brands paying their top women what they're paying their top men as just a base salary as just a base salary as your retainer i mean it it it, it, it i just i was amazed when i found out what men i was beating were getting paid and have you been able to have a conversation with anyone at those big companies that like, you know, offers any kind of an explanation, you know, like, do they think women honestly are getting less media coverage? Do they think the fields are less deep? Like those are things that we've heard on the triathlon side of things for sure. But like, you know, are they just kind of keeping quiet and shrugging their shoulders or? Yeah. And I, I really honestly haven't pursued it. I mean, with 
you know, with some of the stuff that's happened, I just such, um, like I have to let it go because when I sort of went to calculate what I could have made as a guy and it's a lot more (laughs) and, um, and I was just getting really, really bitter. And so I just, I sort of stopped. I mean, I'll still help other women still fight, but I, I didn't like go to the people who were responsible and, you know, ask for an explanation. Some of the most popular ultras like Western States and hard rock, they're using lotteries to enter the races. So these lotteries for our listeners, if you don't know, it's often weighted to give you like a certain amount of preference. If you've been a past finisher, you know, and then historically that means that a lot more men would be getting kind of more weight in within the lottery. If more men had been finishing and that kind of just like continues on itself year after year. So The 2019 Hard Rock 100 entrance list was recently announced, and that includes 15 women and 130 men. So do you think these lottery procedures should be reevaluated to decrease barriers of entry for women? Actually, no. I think Hard Rock's the only one that does that, to my knowledge. And Hard Rock, in full transparency, I am on the Hard Rock board. But... Hard Rock has a culture that they're trying to continue, and it's a very old-school ultra-running culture. You know, it was a race when, you know, when it started, very few people were doing hundreds anyway, and I think they just, they want to keep it this old, you know, people who've run a lot of, who've run for a really, really long time, they should get preference, and um, so I, I think part of that is, I don't think it's based on a sexist I don't think it's based in sexism. Um, it is It is unfortunate. And if all races were like that, I'd have a much bigger problem with it. But I, it, it is, it, it, who gets in is a factor of who's been running and racing the longest. Not, not It's not tied to one sex. And I, as somebody who's been in the sport for two years, it is really frustrating to not get into races that you know, we help popularize. So I, I think, I, I just don't see it as related. I, it's not an attempt to be, you know, to treat women poorly. So switching gears a bit, you've long been an outspoken advocate for mental health and you were one of the first elite athletes to publicly publicly speak about your own struggles with depression. How did you find the courage to talk about depression when few others would? Yeah, <laughs> that, uh, that was interesting. Good question. Um, so that was, you know, 2005, 2007 were when I was really public about it. And at the time, there were I was still asked on my licensure, my licensure questionnaires for physical therapy if I had a, men- you know, one of the questions was, do you have a mental illness that could impair your ability to treat? And I, it's the one thing that's official that I always lied on because I don't think my, I mean, they don't ask me if I have a bad back or if I, which would certainly impair the way I could treat, you know, they don't ask about physical illness. So, but anyway, at the time I could have lost my license and I was, you know, at the time I was also on top of the world. I was undefeated. I was, you know, I was winning everything. And I was, I was almost like, you know, let them try. Like I'm ready right now. And, you know, I had the North face behind me. I knew that if this came, that if I, if somebody challenged me, it would be a massive media mistake and it had to be done. You know, like it really, really had to be done. But that said, after reading the article in the, in the local paper that where I really came out hard and it was really told every told things that are really difficult and very intimate about the disease, about my experience with the disease. And I read the articles after I came back from Western States when they were published and I had to go to work the next day and I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified to go to work. So, you know, if I had known how scared I would have been after reading that article, I probably wouldn't have done it. So I'm really glad I didn't know. And so what was kind of the reaction from the trail running community and from sponsors too? It sounds like, you know, you had the North Face behind you and maybe they kind of had a heads up that this was, you know, something you felt strongly to speak out about. But what, you know, what was the overall reaction, positive and negative? Very positive, actually. Um, I mean, I had people coming up to me in supermarkets and hugging me and crying and, you know, I mean, just nobody, nobody was talking about this. And I have not had one single negative to my face reaction. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, maybe there are people who say stuff, but nothing negative. I mean, it's all, you know, and, and 
when I've tr been treating patients of mine for physical therapy who've sort of come out to me because because they can, because I opened that door through the media, that is, you know, I just start crying. I mean, these people who've never talked about depression can talk to pre about depression to me. And so, you know, in the end, just everything was, you know, worked out very, very well. And you've called depression your secret weapon, saying the pain of ultra running is nothing compared to the pain of depression. Can you tell us a little bit about how racing and exercise help you manage depression? You know, it's, well, I mean, there's studies now that back this up. There were not even, um, you know, when I was going through this in the 90s, there were, I've had a psychiatrist ask me what I was running from. And, you know, like, like it's just the field of psychiatry has grown up so much in the last 20 years. And we realize, and people are doing great research to show that aerobic exercise as well as other forms of exercise are really helpful with relieving symptoms of depression. So basically running is a huge, huge component of my therapy. Um, so in that way, it's a secret weapon because I have to train. And there's a, this, um, there's an article in a French newspaper that translated the, the title translated to um, sentence to run like somebody's sentenced to run for the rest of their life. And that's really true. So I have that. I can't stop. Um, and then number two is I still have never found anything as painful as uh, depression when I'm in crisis. There is just, I mean, there aren't many things that make you want to, that make you want to die to, you know, to the point where you better not have any weapons around. And um, you know, even in the long trail attempt when I was like, I want to die. Like it was, that was, <laughs> I wouldn't have actually pulled a trigger, <laughs> you know, like I, I knew that I could stop, but that you can't, you have an out in an ultra or in an Ironman. You don't have an out when you're in crisis and depression. You just, there's, there's nothing and your brain is just, a, your brain works so much differently that you feel all that pain and, um, and you have no idea when it's going to stop, and so it just make it just juxtaposes to endurance sports, which are painful, very favorably towards the sports. And what would you say? I'm just curious if you have like advice or kind of insight into, you know, I think well, there are definitely going to be listeners who can relate, and I think it's a tricky thing to say, you know, to have them lean so heavily on running, whereas they also need to be getting, you know, seeking medical help and, and that kind of thing. So what kind of like advice do you have in, of balancing, you know, the running with true medicine? Yeah, Alyssa, that's a fantastic question. It's so, so important that people go to their primary care doc and to their therapist and to their psychologist or whoever it is um, who's helping because running, exercise is one part of the treatment for some people. It won't work for everybody, but it works for some of us. It works for a large percentage of us. That said, when somebody with depression gets injured, it's um, catastrophic. And um, without my without my network of friends around me who know that I have depression, I, I probably would not have made it through um, the two injuries that took me out of running for a long time. Um, and so, you know, it's running for me is necessary, but not sufficient. And exercise for a lot of people um, with depression is the same. It's absolutely critical that you that you have other outlets and whether that be, you know, therapy, medication, and then, you know, whether it's, and, and then other things that can be therapeutic activities that can be therapeutic, whether it be like archery or chess or, um, art, you know, something because you, you can't always, you can't always exercise. And, and Nikki, we've mentioned your age and the long duration of your career several times during this episode. I think you have a birthday coming up really <laughs> soon too. I'm like, I'm like on Wikipedia like doing research and I was like, Oh man, Nikki's birthday is uh, Thursday. Yeah. this week. Happy birthday. Thanks. But, but you've talked about the challenges that come with being an athlete and getting older. Can you tell us a little bit about how your approach to training and racing changed throughout your thirties and forties? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I through my 30s and certainly through my 20s, I could train as much as I wanted to. I could, I would regularly do back-to-back -back ultras like on successive weeks or two weeks apart and no problem. And I would do marathons just for fun, <laughs> you know, like in between two that ultras. That? <laughs> <laughs> that is not me, but is, enjoy you your 30s, Alyssa. That. They're the best decade. And then, you know, and, and so I've had to put a lot more um, a lot more rest into my schedule and you know that that's hard and I don't know that it's just age I think you know I probably have about 90,000 running miles on my body and it just my body doesn't work the same way as it did and um, and actually I'm really really glad I didn't start coaching until I started slowing down because I never could possibly have coached a 40, 50, 60, 70 year old with the knowledge I had in my 30s. I mean, even being a physical therapist and, you know, having studied all the biomechanics and the physiology and all that and having run as much as I have, I didn't know, you, you don't know what it feels like to slow down until you do. And it's, and you don't, you know, you, you know it intellectually, you're told that you, that, um, recovery takes longer and and stuff like that but you just you have to feel it and and really um to you have to feel it to really grasp what it's like to you know require a ton of uh recovery time from something that would have taken you a week to recover from and and what about like the psychological part of that you know when you talked earlier about how when you were racing in your 30s and everything you touched turned to gold you won everything and you know that got a little harder was that hard to like to grapple with is it hard to like be more you know not quite at the pointy end of the race yeah <laughs> it's really hard and um there's actually an article coming out in the june ultra runner about that um and about my struggle with that and an article i wrote after um hard rock last year um but it's you know it, it's it it's hard in many ways. Um, I mean, one of the, I didn't understand in my 20s and 30s why people who were really good would just quit instead of keep running. And I, it kind of made me angry. <laughs> and I was like, I would never do that. And then um, when I started to slow down, it's really hard. I mean, 90% of the comments you hear are positive, but, but people will say, will feel very comfortable coming in and saying, you know, oh, what happened to you today? Or I never thought I'd be up here with Nikki Kimball or whatever. And I'm just like, I'm old enough to be your grandmother. Leave it alone. <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, so, so it was really hard. And I think my love of running and my need to run and my love of the community has helped a ton. Have you contemplated, because you said, like, your body probably has 90,000 running miles on it, right? And I am a big believer that like there's kind of that athlete age thing right so like you know age is one number but athlete age is another and so have you contemplated you know like looking back and said well maybe if I had spread those miles a little thinner in my 20s and 30s you know and like is there any sense of that at all that like that not okay. at all okay yeah. no no um I, you know I if until I mean, I never really had a running injury. Like all my injuries have been trauma, direct trauma. And then, and then having trauma injuries has induced running injuries. But, you know, I mean, I went 15 years without really having any serious injuries besides broken bones from like falling and stuff. But, um, you know, no running, nothing from running. So I don't think that I was, I mean, I probably was overtraining slightly, but I don't think I would be running that much better now if I had just been a little more conservative then. I think I'd be running a heck of a lot better now if I just hadn't been running in my 30s. And I wouldn't give those memories up for anything. Uh, oh, can I mm -hmm. ask this one? <laughs> um, so you have been spending, you and I have been spending some quality time together this winter and our continued winter here in Bozeman. And um, for those of us, yeah, for the, I, everyone who's listened to this podcast, I think I've mentioned, we, we ride bikes in my garage. And so what we are, I am curious, and Alyssa's curious too, and all of our listeners are curious, is there any chance, we know you're a good runner, we know you've been putting in some quality time on the bike, any chance we'll see you on a triathlon start line? Well, if it was skiing instead of swimming. <laughs> 
I would seriously need you, Haley, to teach me how to swim. Did I am you, a horrible swimmer. I don't know if you saw the results from Chattanooga 70.3 last weekend. I mean, they cut the swim. It was all down rivers. People were out in like 15 <laughs> minutes. They, they did. They said a the paper bag could have done, well, it was the day before. They turned the current down a little, but like the whole float on your back in 12 minutes and you're done kind of thing. So we could find you a race. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. All about course, course, uh, finding the right course. But what do you have any race plans um, for this summer? Yeah, actually, if we ever yeah. get summer. Yeah, if if it ever turns to summer, I am hoping to do a hundred mile mountain bike race. And the main reason for that one, I absolutely adore my um, colleague, who's one of the best bike racers in Montana, and she kind of was like, "Hey, let's do let's do this," and. Um, and the the big point of that is it keeps me from running. Like I am terrified of going out and trying to ride 107 miles on a mountain bike when I'm really not that great at it. I have no skills. Um, but um, Haley's garage has certainly made me fit for <laughs> help the fitness. For and that. the reason you're not running, I, we didn't talk about that. I mean, but you are oh. you've been injured, right. and so you're you're easing back into running. Right. Uh, when Nikki first showed up in my garage, she wasn't a boot riding a bike. Riding the bike on the trainer in a boot, you know, she's definitely um, hardcore there. I, I can't say I ever did that. When I was hurt and I was in a boot, I was, I think the doctor told me I could, he's like, you can get on and ride in the boot. And I was like, I'm okay. I'll just swim. But, um, but you are, you're hardcore. You're out there in the boot. And then we, and then we graduated to like the flat pedals and then you graduated to like clip in pedals. It's been awesome to watch, but can you tell us a little bit about the injury or? Yeah. I mean, it was sort of came from a long ago snowshoe injury where I'd um, actually fractured the uh, part of my tibia. And then I started getting disease in the tendons that go behind the inside of your ankle. And at mile 60 of hard rock, um, hindsight's perfect, is when I tore a ligament in the middle of my foot that supports that tendon and then I tried to race about six weeks later and that and the tendon that the posterior tibialis tendon just exploded um I think the uh, bone actually kind of sawed through it so um and you still finished you still finished the race and I still finished second hard rock yeah <laughs> but hard rock my tibialis my, my muscle was still working okay <laughs> and I had just taped my arch up so that worked like the you know, like the ligament should have. And, um, yeah, bad PT tried to treat myself and I, and I did have a doctor too. We looked under ultrasound and I had some pain and the tendon looked good. We just, I mean, I'm a foot and ankle and expert supposedly in, in physical therapy. And I completely missed that. I tore a critical ligament in my foot. Like I, this is, you should never treat yourself. (laughs) So, but you're, you're, you're out of the boot, you're on the mend you uh, are tackling a new adventure. Is this your first 100-mile mountain bike race? Yes. Is this your first mountain bike race? Well, I was in an adventure race when I was sponsored by Nike because they needed a female with a pulse, so they brought me over. <laughs> so I did do that, and I slowed them down a ton on the bike. Um, <laughs> so, Something tells me yeah. that's not going to happen this time. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's, yeah, after six six months of, of not running, it's a really, really long time. So, yeah, this is definitely my first ever injury that was massive and yeah (laughs) well we're excited that you're getting back onto the trails even if it's on a bike for now and we know that you'll be back running eventually here take your time and get healthy but you know we definitely want to continue to have your presence and wisdom and advocacy and everything out there in the sport so thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and you know we'll be keep following what you're up to thank you so much Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You are right, and do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of Iron Women to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code Iron Women for 30% off.
Haley, it was kind of fun having you and Nikki together in one place for me to chat with you both that way. I think we maybe we should do that more often. Yeah, for any of our... Did we say that in the interview? But I'm not sure. But Nikki was actually present with me we did Nikki and I were in person Alyssa was virtual when we recorded that interview and it was kind of fun you know just the dynamics is it's great when you can have someone in person like interviewing over the internet like we usually do is is a little more convenient but interviewing in person is is kind of fun especially when you get to like ask follow-up questions or ask something that surprises someone and you get to see their reaction like real time so that was a treat it was also a treat to have both you and Nikki on the same podcast I, I do think that was a really special thing Yeah, I think that's, you know, certainly nothing. I follow a lot of FKT stuff and it's certainly nothing I've ever really come across with all of that. So, you know, I think it's it was special for me to get to finally talk to her about the long trail, but also just kind of hear more about her career. She's a legend. So that was very special. So thank you for for helping coordinate that, Haley. Of course, my pleasure. I I just like like being a fly in the wall with all these like famous people who do races that I can't even fathom the distance 273 miles like five days. Oh, man, I admire you, you people so so much like five hours is hard for me. But um, anyway, it's it's all you know, there's always something new. There's always another another adventure, another way to challenge yourself. So very cool. And um, Alyssa, I will let you go because I know it is race week and you need to get yourself ready and to go crush it in Eagle Man. I'm really looking forward to tracking you this weekend. Thanks, Haley. I can't wait to tell you all about it next week. And for our listeners, don't forget, we do have our ongoing Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash live feisty, where you can become a supporter of the podcast and help contribute to keep this content coming at you regularly every week and more as as we do these things yes thank you to those of you who have already signed up and subscribed to our patreon account we really appreciate it and you know every every little bit helps keeps us you know bringing to you these great interviews keeps us brainstorming who to have on next and working hard to bring the you know the women's endurance sports stories to the world make sure they're told and not hidden somewhere so Alyssa, have a great time at eagle man and i'll talk to you next week bye Haley. thanks for listening to this podcast please subscribe like and comment on itunes my favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa gadeski and Haley chura my favorite editor is aaron hamilton the iron women podcast is a live feisty media production We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FQC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen.